If anyone needs a Bible, uh, just go ahead and raise your hand, and our ushers will pass the path path pass those out to you. Um, so anybody, go ahead and raise your hand. The rest of us who have a Bible, turn to Romans twelve uh, nine, and we're in a series uh, today uh, all summer about relationship. How many of you have any relationship? Raise your hand. Any relate for those of you who are not raising your hand, I will have a private counseling session with you afterwards. Uh, boy, you better have some kind of relationship. Well, you know, you're either a son, a daughter, uh, or a husband, or a wife, or on and on it goes, or a friend, or a coworker, or you know, we all have relationship. Now, here's the challenge: is so this fits for everybody in the room. But how does it fit? How does it fit for you? How does it fit for me? And so we've been going through some of the very obvious things about relationship, about rewarding relationships, about um, risk in relationship, and talking about how does God help us in the midst of that to have real relationship? We live in a society that relationship is regulated to our thumbs now. And I shared a few weeks back that my wife and I went out for an anniversary dinner. We went across the bay and, and we went to this restaurant that was, that was very nice. And the average age in there was probably 65. That's not going to do well when your wife's coming up on 50. You're sending a message. So, you know, we're going like to BJ's next year for our anniversary probably. I don't know. So we noticed that these folks were, were a little elderly. But here's what's fascinating. They were all smiling. They were all laughing. They were engaged. They were talking. Eyes were up. And it was so noticeable that I turned to my wife while we were waiting for her. I said, do you see what's going on in the room? And she's like, yeah. There was one person on their phone, and it was someone who was 60 trying to be 20. Yeah, I kid you, right? I kid you not. It was me. Okay, no. We are perilously falling off the cliff of real relationships, aren't we? So we thought we would address it. We thought we would talk about it. And we thought we would try to see what Scripture says about real relationships for us. Well, we threw it into... uh, And I've been avoiding this because I have a horrible memory. So I haven't said it all summer. I'll just be vulnerable with you. It's either an acronym or an acrostic. And you grammar people are going to want to belt it out, okay? So we took real and we gave a word to each letter Go ahead. Which one is it? Thank you. Now, I'll forget that again. But we took the word real, and we said we want to break it down to this. Number one, rewarding. We all want rewarding relationships, don't we? Two, you want a rewarding relationship? You have to engage. You've got to engage to have a rewarding relationship. Three, you want fake relationships? You want disingenuous? No, of course you don't. Those relationships that that mean the most to you. And I just want you to pause. I want you to think about the person you value most. Who's had the most influence in your life. The one who's precious to you. I'll bet you eight ways to Sunday that they're authentic with you. Right? That it's safe for them to have an honest conversation with you. And you to have an honest conversation with them. But we don't want to do that in relationships today because that's risky, right? 
better to have shallow relationships and keep it safe and live with the leftovers than to go deep and have purposeful, intentional, thriving, rewarding... No. Go deep. Be authentic in your relationships. And how do you do all that? There's only one way, and Christ demonstrated that, and that's by being loving. That's by being loving in your relationships. So how important is reconciliation? Today we're talking about reconciled relationships. We're going to be in Romans 12, 9. I'll get to it in a minute. But I just want to ask you this question. How important is reconciliation? Many of us are probably estranged with somebody. That's a big fancy word with we're at war with them. All right? In one way or another. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's our best friend. Maybe it's our sons or daughters. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's an ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's God. Sometimes we convince ourselves that that's a better place to be than to do the hard work of what it means to have a real relationship. Sometimes maybe it's the fact that we just don't even know how to become reconciled so that we can have peace, we can have depth of relationship. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to see the demonstration by Christ in this. How important is reconciliation? It is relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.18 speaks to this, and you'll see it on every slide that we have. But I'm going to give you a breakdown here. There's the God part and there's the man part, right? It says this, all this is from God. Okay, here's your God part. Who, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself. See, we're separated from God because of sin. And God never wanted it that way, but there was a couple people that made that choice and we inherited that. And even if we didn't inherit it, um, I know I've sinned at least once and that, therefore, requires that Something has to be fixed. Something has to be reconciled between me and God for me to have relationship with Him. By the way, this is the key. It's not religion. Religion isn't the key. Religion is you doing something repetitively for some sort of production or gain. Do we do that with our faith? Yes. That's how it got that word religion. But somehow we threw in religion where really this is about relationship. And so we've got to talk about that relationship with God first. That we've got a, a, uh, something that separates us. It's called sin. It's something where we miss the mark with God. We just miss the mark. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just kind of, oops, um, I forgot. Or uh, I didn't know you needed that. Or uh, I, just, I chose not to do that for you <laughs> because I'm selfish. We do that all the time in our, in our parallel relationships. But with God... It's a little bit difficult because we don't see Him like we see each other. We don't interact with Him like we interact with one another. And so sometimes that just becomes an afterthought, doesn't it? But God desperately yearns for you. He desperately yearns for you. And He's about His business to get your attention. So much so that He sacrificed that which was most important, His Son, so that you can have relationship with Him again. That's what it means when it says that He's reconciling. He's making peace with you because the sin created enmity, a separation. And so that's what God is doing. So what is man doing? Where, where, where is man's part in all of this? 
Um, the challenge with that is for me to figure out my buttons here. The challenge with that is for us to examine from Scripture, how does that work for us? How do we go about reconciliation? Well, it says what? It says, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, right? So how does that work? Well, Acts 10 describes this. And, and we won't go there, but I'm just going to give you a real brief shot of this. How many of you know who the Apostle Peter is? You've even heard of him. And Peter was the Jew of the Jews. And I can identify with Peter. Anybody out there impulsive? You love to be impulsive. You just do it. And sometimes things come flying out before you think, you know. That's Peter. God loves you people. All right? He died even for you people, okay? And, and, and for Peter. And so he puts Peter in charge of the whole thing. Would, would you imagine somebody putting you in charge of everything? But Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, Mr. Impulsive. Mr. Liar. I'm going to put you first. And see, Christ was constantly working on Peter. Because with Peter, Peter's Jewish. And at that time, Jews didn't talk to people who were not Jewish. And so Peter's hanging out in some resort town called Joppa on the coast. And he gets this dream. And he didn't really understand the dream. In the meantime, about 80 miles up the coast, actually about 150 miles up the coast in Caesarea, there's a Roman centurion named Cornelius, a Gentile. And he's seeking after God. And he keeps calling out to God. Have you ever done that? He keeps calling out to God saying, God, where are you? I need to know about you. I need to know about your son Jesus. And so what does God do? God does exactly what he says in this verse. And he says, Peter, I need you to go up to Caesarea. I got somebody I want you to talk to. I want you to be that ambassador. You have this ministry of reconciliation, Peter. Peter doesn't get it. He arrives at Cornelius' house, realizes what he's being asked to do. God, you're asking a Jew to come in and speak to a bunch of Gentiles. I don't get this. He walks in the door. It's apparent that the Holy Spirit is there. It's apparent that the Holy Spirit is working within this family. And so what does Peter do? He shares the gospel. He shares the gospel with this family. And this family sees their need for Christ. And their whole household was saved that day. And all the rules were broken. All the understanding. I know that was an impressive point. All the rules were broken. You know, for your life, what are your rules? You may have the rule, hey, if somebody gets in my face and somebody ruins my world, I'm going to ruin theirs. Because that's what's preached to us all the time, right? And that just builds more hatred, more separation, and more shallow relationships. Let's get into it this morning and see what God has for us. Romans 12, 9 through 21. We're not, gonna, we're not going to hit this very hard today. I'm going to hit parts of it. And really, it's verse 20 and 21 that are really going to instruct us in this area of reconciliation. But verse 9 is the most important. And it says this. Let love be genuine or authentic or real. Right? Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil or abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now, let's just stop for a second. Let's just all pretend we've got that someone in our life that we need to reconcile with. Alright? Can you do that? Because I know there isn't anybody in this room that's at odds with anybody. That there's any conflict going on in any of your relationships. Not this room. But if you were to have somebody, just kind of make it up in your mind. And I want you to think about that person 
and that imaginary conflict that you might have with them. And I want you to hear these words now with that filter. Love needs to be genuine. You know what it's like, right? You're at the store and you run into that person that you dread running into because you're in conflict with them. And what happens? You see them face to face and you're like, i got to find somebody that I know so I don't freak somebody out. I see Mary Ann and, and she's insulted the angels. Not the heavenly angels, but the baseball team, the angels, which is on the same parallel for me. Okay? So she insults my angels. Not, not the two on either side. Again, she insults my angels over Facebook to everybody. And, and especially she goes after Mike Trout. And that's just sacrosanct. And so I haven't talked to her for a month now. And, and she's shooting me looks. She's wearing like no angel shirts, you know, in, in church. And I come around the corner and there she is. And what do we do? Oh, hi, Marianne. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Hey, have a great day. Yeah, okay. You been there? This is what I'm talking about. You, thank you for your participation there. This is what I'm talking about. This is so far from genuine love that it's sickening. But this is how we operate because we're convinced that's the safe thing to do. But Scripture and Jesus Christ did not do the safe thing. He acted because of His love for you. He acted to the point of saying, and we'll hear it in a while, Father, forgive them for they what? They know not what they do. They know not what they do while He's being crucified. That's love. That's real. That's what I want a piece of. That's what I want a piece of. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Remember, think of that person you've got conflict with and see if this works for you. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. In, in other words, don't be uh, lazy in your passion. But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who, what? Who persecute you. Now, can you do that, Jen? Now, go to the back of that person. Oh, Marianne. I heard you're such a great teacher. You're so great. I think you're great. Oh, it's a, you're fabulous. I've got to get out of here. <laughs> okay, bye. She just said, okay, bye. Stop picking on me in front of all these people. Now we do have an issue, right? Now we do have an issue. Bless. Are you kidding me? Bless those who person. Father, forgive them for what? They know not what they do. There's your first clue on reconciliation. And we'll break that out in a minute. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Mm. There's your big one with conflict. Because you're right all the time, aren't you? I know I am. <laughs> Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. 
I am right all the time. <laughs> Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is so contradictory to what we see, what we hear, what we feel, and what we live in the world around us. Can I get an amen? And you can say that. You can say, boy." You can say, oh, you betcha. <laughs> you can interact that way if, if something strikes you. So let's get to it this morning. That's the context of where we're working around. You got your person? You got your situation? Let's move. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. C.S. Lewis, pretty smart guy. This was my statement. Are you willing to extend the hand of forgiveness? Are you ready for real relationship? There's something behind this. Uh, for those of you who are over 40, you probably know the story, The Hiding Place with Corey Ten Boom. Um, for those under 40, you may, you may know it as well. It's based out of the Holocaust. Uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom and her sister um, were taken into uh, concentration camps. Her sister, I think it's Betsy, lose me, Betsy did not survive. And they went through horrific things. But Corey did survive by the grace of God. And she had an incredible ministry of speaking that God gave her because of going through all of that suffering. It just happened that one of the first times she ever spoke in Europe, a commanding SS officer that was at one of the first camps they were ever at was in the audience. And she knew him right away. And at the end of the service, he walked up and he extended his hand and he said, thank you so much. Those healing words were helpful, helpful for a sinner like myself. And she couldn't raise her hand. And she prayed, God, give me the power to extend a hand of grace and forgiveness to my enemy. She couldn't lift her hand. And he's standing there with his hand out still. And she prayed it again. God, I do not have the strength to give my hand to the man responsible for my sister's death. Give me the strength. And it didn't come. She prayed a third time. And her arm lifted. And her own testimony is that as she embraced that hand, that she felt a surge of energy go through her arm and connect them in a way that she thought was impossible. And instantaneously, the bitterness that she thought was gone, she thought was done, was exponentially lifted off of her. And she experienced a reconciliation unlike anything that this world could say even exists. 
So when I ask you this question, I don't know who your enemy is. I don't know who has hurt you badly, desperately. But are you ready to extend the hand of forgiveness? Because you can't do it in your own strength. So let's see, shall we? How to do it in God's strength. So let's move through this. There's two forms of biblical forgiveness. When we're talking about reconciliation, we're really talking about forgiveness uh, for all intents and purposes. I'm sorry, I hit that too fast. These are are two words that are used in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, for uh, the concept of forgiveness. So, the first one, ephemai, and I don't even know if I'm saying that right, um, it's this idea to release someone of the liability to suffer penalty or judgment. So, I don't know if you recognize Matthew 6.12, but it's part of the Lord's Prayer. So let's maybe say that together. Father, forgive us our debts as what? Yeah. That's this word. It is a releasing of the liability of the penalty or suffering owed because of the offense. We can relate to that, can't we? So I want you to understand that there is that form of, of forgiveness... Then there's charisme, which is to bestow favor freely or unconditionally. This is kind of that forgiveness, and it's, uh, let's turn to it. Luke 7, you can turn there uh, in your scriptures. I'm going to read it. <clears throat> this is a different idea of forgiveness. And so there's two things that are happening here that are encapsulated that I, that I want to help us understand as you're thinking of that person or that situation. And so, Jesus gives an illustration or a parable uh, to demonstrate this idea of forgiveness. And I'll back it up to verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Did you see the word forgiveness? I didn't. I saw the word cancel. That is this idea of unconditional love. That is this idea of, of doing something that is not needed. It's, it's not even asked for. You didn't hear in the story that they asked it, you know, I, I, I owe you, but I, I, I really can't do that. I mean, he goes on, it says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he answered to him, you have judged rightly. The idea of unconditional forgiveness. To bestow favor freely or unconditionally. So two forms of forgiveness this morning that we're looking at. Let me give you three things that forgiveness is not, okay? Let's let's start there. When we're talking about trying to go through this process of reconciliation with someone that we're at odds with. Let's talk about what it isn't. Number one, it's not a feeling. Right? How many of you ever feel forgiven? I I felt forgiven on occasion, you know, in in times where... But not just because I chose to feel forgiven. It's because I went through a process. But left to itself without any action, that's the point here. Forgiveness is not a feeling. All right? So it involves a series of decisions. We call upon God to change our hearts. That's active. That's not passive language. We need to set our mind on the good, not the hurt. Philippians 4.8 
So when we're talking about forgiveness being a feeling, it involves a series of decisions. Decisions are different than feelings, aren't they? Feelings you just experience involuntarily, or sometimes voluntarily, right? But they're not connected to necessarily moving forward in action. It's passive. It's something that's reflective of your circumstance. Whereas making a calculated decision to reconcile with somebody is much more than just a feeling. So the first part is that, you know, when you're doing forgiveness, it's not a feeling. It involves a series of decisions. Number one, call upon God to change your heart. Number two, set your mind on the good, not the hurt. Philippians 4.8, whatever is excellent, truthful, lovely, on and on and on it goes. It says, set your mind on these things. Set your mind on these things. Because if you've ever been consumed with the person you're in conflict with, they're not even in the room. They're not in the car, and yet you're having a conversation with them, aren't you? And they're stealing life right out of you. Be, and, and what do you do? You keep having that conversation next week in the car, and they're not in the car. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is an action. Forgiveness is not forgetting. How many of that, that's your modus of operandi with, when it comes to forgiveness? Oh, I'm just going to forget about it. Or somebody comes to you and wants to kind of heal and reconcile. You ah, forget about it. Right? Where's Gary? Gary's in the room. Yeah, forget about it, right? That's how they say it on the East Coast. Right? Do they really mean forget about it? Fight or flight. Flight. That's this person. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. Let's keep the relationship here shallow. I don't want to go here. It's too scary. Because I've been what? I've been hurt before. That's okay. We talked about how sometimes scars are good. That you get into depth of relationship, rewarding relationship, because you go through the process that may leave some scars. But you have the blessedness of having real relationships. And you're not haunted by the broken one. So, number one, what is forgiveness? Not. Forgiveness is not. It's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. The offense has never been dealt with. There's no reconciliation. Now, you may say, well, pastor, for you Bible scholars out there, you know, pastor, I happen to know that there's scripture in Isaiah that says that God forgets our sins. It's not passive language. It literally is. He chooses to not remember our sins. That's different. Right? And you're going to see part of the reconciliation pattern here in a minute requires you to do that. Requires you not to hold. Even though you say you forgive, you go through that process. Part of it is, is making a decision and a choice to not bring it up again. It may still remain resident, but you're not going to make it an issue. That's what Christ is saying. I choose, or that's what God was saying. I choose not to remember your sins. But it's not an excuse. It's not forgetting about it it's not denial that it ever happened you know forgiveness is not excusing when we say hey that's okay you really didn't mean to hurt me there's no authenticity there right love isn't real in that moment so that can't be reconciliation or forgiveness secondly it builds a relationship on deception how can you when you know that it really does hurt but the person is trying to say oh it's, no don't no, don't worry about it then what value is it when they say something positive to you? 
But pastor, what you're saying requires difficult choices. It requires more, yes, if you want to have a real relationship, one with depth. It requires more. So I'm going to give you some points here on how to deal with this and how to move forward with it. These are four promises that I've taken from Ken Sandy in in his book called The Peacemaker. And these are promises that you're going to make through the process of reconciliation. All right? So we talked a little bit about what it is not. All right? What forgiveness is not, because we tend to do those things. But let's give you some tools on how to proceed in forgiveness. Number one, you commit to this. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not dwell on this incident. What, do, what does that mean, Pastor? What, what, what do I deal with in that, in that level? Scripture says in First Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. These are called those little minor things, those little small things that really don't matter. Have you met the person that every little thing bothers them? And that drives you nuts? I give you permission, just kind of move on. Unless God has asked you to minister to that person or, or have relationship with that person, then yes. Then be there and he'll give you the patience, right? We heard it out of Romans 12, you know, patient in tribulation. But this is that area where they're just little minor things and it probably has something to do with you too. And so you're saying what? I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. How many of you have let one go for the purpose of love and relationship? You've let an offense go that just irritated you a little bit. Anybody? Yeah. Am I doing it right now? Am I bothering you with raise your hand kind of deal? You're like, I'm used to going to a place where we don't raise our hands. I'm more Baptist in nature. Sorry, that was a church joke. Only about three of you got it. I will not dwell on this incident. I'm going to move on. Second, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I'll not bring up this incident and use it against you. Wow. That's a hard one, right? How many of us have the ability to do that? Remember, we don't do this in our own strength. We do this in God's strength. Third, I will not talk to others about this incident. I'm doing some premarital counseling right now, and one of the things that I always share with a a new bride, new groom, is, hey, you're going to hit some rough patches. And one of the worst things you can do is go to your girlfriends or your guy friends And start ragging on your partner about what they did and what they didn't do. Because guess what? That's going to pass eventually. But what do you leave as an impression to all those people around? Throwing your dirty laundry out in front of everybody to know. Don't share those things. Don't talk to others about the incident. Protect that relationship. And you can have reconciliation and forgiveness. By the way, let, let me back up to this. If that relationship goes beyond your capacity and you've given effort for reconciliation and it's just still hitting up against a wall, you can break this rule and go to someone who's like a counselor. Does that make sense? So I just want to be clear that I'm I'm not telling you to go it alone. (laughs) Go to Christ first, go to prayer first, and lay that thing before Him. And if it keeps coming up and you're hitting up against a wall, seek some help but not from your friends, not from your family. You've got to find a wiser person 
that will hold confidence and will understand and be able to share those things. And someone who's neutral, okay? Fourth, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. These are the four promises that will help you to have reconciliation in your life. So let me ask you this. When should you forgive? I know this is a compelling question for you. You're all dying to get this answer, right? When, when should I forgive? We can't even remo- get beyond how to forgive sometimes, let alone when to forgive. Well, let me give you a couple things. We've already talked about this, small offenses. Love overlooks a multitude of sins. So, you know, if we decide to go out to lunch after church and I want to go to Denny's, or as we affectionately call it, Lenny's. Okay, three of us do that. And everybody else wanted to go to, you know, a healthy place like Sweet Tomatoes or something. But I inflicted my will. And I decided to write, you know, put one of those stickers on with my name. And I wrote, Pastor Jeremy. Right? It's like, excuse me, Pastor Jeremy wants to go to Denny's. We're going to Denny's. All right? Because that Grand Slam breakfast... That's something else. And so we go, and, and you get home, and you're like, what was the deal with that guy? What? He is obsessed with horrible food. What, what is wrong with him? And, and where does he get off? Like, eight people wanted to go to eat healthy food, and he forced us to go to Denny's. Have you, have you had that experience? Not with me, of course, because I'd never take you to Denny's. But have you had that experience, and you're just irritated by a person? This is what we're talking about. Just let it go. It's not that big of a deal, Right? Just somebody being selfish and they were obsessed with Denny's. You'll get over it. So in that sense, what? Small offenses. Overlook them. That is not the time to sit down and have a confrontation and have a reconciliation moment. But those moments do show up. When is it great to overlook? Having an attitude of forgiveness. Luke 23 through 24 Let let me go there real quickly and read this to you as we're wrapping up. Luke 23, verse 24 says this. Well, I wrote down the wrong verse. Oh, 34. Sorry. I'm looking at that. I'm like, what does Pilate have to do with this? I, I (laughs) that is not working okay forgive me for that one that was a a demonstration of what to let go all right 34 yes this makes a whole lot more sense it's the picture of calvary it's the cross and and he's being crucified and in the midst of his pain what does he say he says and jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do i told you we get back to it when is it too great to overlook this would be one of those moments. The horrific scene of brutality and offense to put God on a cross, an innocent man, and crucify Him. And not only that, to mock Him, to spit in His face, to put a crown of thorns on His head, to thrust a spear into His side, and then to rip His garments and gamble for them right underneath His feet. As people walk by and hurl insults at Him, all the while, what does He say? Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. Do you see how he's interceding? 
Because can you imagine how God felt? Sometimes it's not a small thing. Sometimes it's really big. We need to have an attitude of forgiveness. We need to see what Christ does. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And sometimes we have to look at that example and see that a person is caught up in sin, caught up in the difficulties of life, caught up in those challenges. And yes, there's an offense. And yes, there's an estrangement in the relationship. But we can come to them saying that they're lashing out. They're lashing out at everybody. They're lashing out at me. And I get it. They need to be what? They need to be loved. They need to be loved. Remember, real relationships. The key is love. They need to be loved. And the biggest challenge for me is to flip that switch and not make it personal and see that what's his, what has happened is a result of things and circumstances and I'm just a, t- a casual target. I happen to be walking by. Or sometimes maybe they are just mad at me and I've done something wrong. You know, Sometimes I need to look at my own life and look at my scenario and look at my situation and ask what have I done and I need to come in repentance And so I want to speak to that. Granting forgiveness, repentance is required. Luke 17, turn there real quickly as well. Luke 17 says this. And I'll get the verses right this time. 3 through 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. These are the words of Christ. And so what happens is it is it in reconciliation to have true reconciliation. There are those times where none of those people before Christ as he's being crucified asked for his forgiveness, did they? And yet what did he say? Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. That's one example of when it's too great to just overlook. That's one way to handle it. The second way to handle it is if the, if the interaction is such that it requires an action of repentance and confession, then open up the conversation for that. And first you look at your own self, you look at your own life, you look at what you own in the situation, and you confess that, and you repent. That means that I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. It's junk. It's chains. It's holding me back from loving. It's not what Christ would have me. He'll champion my cause. Now, how many of you, as you're hearing this stuff, you're saying, but, 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 where's the justice? You don't know what they did to me, Pastor. Come back next week. We'll be talking about those consequences. We'll talk about a couple other things that fit with this. This is a two-part series. But right now, what I want you to hear is simply this, is that There are those times where repentance is required for forgiveness to happen, for reconciliation to happen, isn't there? So number one, make that effort. Make that effort to come together. Be relentless. Call the individual. Humble yourself. Sit down with the individual. Own what you need to own. And then share with them your hurts and how they offended you. And simply explain, we can't move into reconciliation until you own that. Until you confess it. Until you own your part. And you repent from it. And then true reconciliation can happen. By the way, you have that kind of conversation. If I was sitting out there, I'd be saying, what kind of conversation do you think I'm going to have with somebody? That is just, nobody talks that way today. That's why we're so screwed up. 
and broken. So I implore you, I'm borrowing those words from Paul, I implore you, love enough, be authentic enough, engage enough so that you can experience the reward of real relationship. Sit down with the person if you can't overlook it. Own what you need to own. Repent from it. And then share your hurts. And let them know that you encourage them to repent as well. And if that happens, there's reconciliation. And I'll tell you what, you have that happen, you have a deep relationship. You have a deep relationship. Number one, it starts with God, doesn't it? So when we go before God, we simply need to own what we own, which is that we're sinners. <laughs> we sin. We make one bad choice. It's not God's standard. We, we have sin. And I can't be reconciled with God unless I believe in Jesus Christ. Unless I choose to believe in something I can't see, I can't touch, I have to have faith. God can give me that faith. And so He's waiting for you today. He's calling out about that today. He's seeking to sit down and have that conversation with you today. So you can practice principle number two right now. Are you ready to sit down and repent from that sin and from that effort and say, I do believe and I do want relationship with you and I do want to be reconciled with you. I don't know what the future like that looks, but I want that. And I want to come to the table with that. That's real relationship with God. In closing, I have a question for you. Are you ready to extend the hand of forgiveness? Are you ready? Next week, we're going to talk about consequences, overcoming unforgiveness. Because what happens when someone won't forgive? We'll talk about that. And then we'll give you the replacement principle. Let me close in prayer this morning. And as I do so, I really want to emphasize what I just shared with you about our relationship with God. And I simply want to say, there doesn't have to be any magical formula. There doesn't have to be any magical prayer. God knows your heart. But if you desire to have reconciliation with God, if you desire to have that relationship with Him, and you understand it's been a long time, or maybe I've never really heard from God, but I do want that. It simply means this, that we confess that we have sin that separates us from Him. Then secondly, we have faith that He is who He says He is. And that He loves us deeply. And that He proved it by dying on the cross. And that He proves that He can save us from that sin and the penalty of that sin. Because why? He didn't just talk. He proved it. He rose from the grave. Amen? So He has the power to do that. And He wants real relationship with you. Let me pray this morning. And I ask you to consider if that sounds even slightly something that is pondering in your heart, that's probably God speaking to you right now. I would act on that. If the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is speaking to your heart right now, I would act on that and have real relationship. Let's pray. Father, this morning You have granted to us reconciliation. You've given to us a pattern of forgiveness that we can't do on our own. And Father, I know that there are those that, that are amongst us, and myself included, that have those challenging relationships that are out there that are somewhat estranged and 
And they just hang out there and they give us a sick feeling in our stomach. We wish they weren't that way. Then maybe, Lord, hearing something today about your standard of having real relationship and how reconciliation fits with that, that, God, we would be prompted, we would be moved to start the process of forgiveness. Lord, let us start that process with you first. And I pray that if there is anyone here today that as they have heard the Scripture and as they have heard what it means to have relationship with you, that you desire that, you proved it by giving your Son, and He created that that bridge and that gap between the separation through His love, through His sacrifice, through His forgiveness. Lord, I pray that we would respond in faith by naming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and making a change today to move from the old to the new and to be reconciled to you. We trust you in all things. Encourage us, lift us up, send us on our way to start a pattern of reconciled relationships. To you be the glory, Lord. Amen.